You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back for another episode of the Oil & Gas This Week podcast. You're listening to episode 175. What's up, Mark? Jake, we broke the internet. We broke the internet. That's not good. Well, at least we broke the WordPress engine part of the internet. So for audience that's listening out there, a WordPress engine is who our hosting is with. And Jake, we have had for a long time the second most expensive hosting that they offer because of the amount of traffic we we generate. Now, I want, want to talk through this with you because this is what's really cool. So only 1% at the most of our podcast listeners take place online on the web, on the websites. That's what WordPress Engine hosts for us is our websites. So we have generated so much traffic with all the shows that I have to now move up to the highest final dedicated hosting because of the 1% of the traffic that we're driving on the internet. And so I'm literally going from paying around 2K a year to we're going to pay about 10K a year because we need that dedicated bandwidth and hosting. Damn, so for crazy. our audience out there. Thank you. Thank you for the fact that we you, helped, you made us break the WordPress engine uh, internet and we have to upgrade. And it's what's amazing to me is almost all of our traffic takes place on mobile. It doesn't actually touch the website, but yet that small 1% of traffic has now pushed us over the limit. Isn't that cool? That's insane. I mean, it really, really is. And it, with that comes all kinds of other stuff, security concerns and everything else. And we're dealing with it. We have our tech people dealing with it. And hats off to the people at WordPress Engine. We may end up trying to get them on the Oil & Gas Tech Show. They've been a, I don't want to say vendor. They've been a partner of ours for for almost 10 years. And they just really take great care of us. And yes, I'm giving them a shameless plug. I'm just, they do a really good job. So if you if you have a WordPress site and you have slow page loads or you have 404 error, I mean, 505 errors and stuff, check out WordPress Engine. They're not the cheapest, but darn it, they're the best. Speaking of the best, the best of the people that leave us reviews, the reviews are the best way to support the show in all seven of our All & Gas podcast. Here's a good one from S. Figuero, a great informational podcast. As someone who writes about energy companies on Seeking Alpha, that's pretty cool, I try to stay informed as much as possible on what is going on in the oil patch. The podcast offers a wealth of information with great hosts to keep listeners informed. Best, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. If you want to be like Stephen, get a big shout out. You know what to do. We've said this a gazillion times. Leaders review. Go do it. It takes three minutes. This is First Friday Q&A, Jake. So we have some questions. and I'm going to let you jump into it. Let's do it. So you guys ask questions and we hopefully give you some answers. Let's see what we got today. First question is from Muhammad, who's a process engineer at a company in Oman. Writes, love your show, guys. I graduated from the U.S. Uh, University of Florida in Tampa a year ago. I am now a process engineer trainee in the oil and gas industry. I'd like to get your advice on what my career could be like in a few years and what I could aspire to be. I want to go into leadership after a few years of engineering. also want to know how I could be the best engineer I could be in my industry. Key things. You want me to start? I think the... So we had a panel at the Energy Tech Night a week ago, and this is one of the questions that was actually asked, kind of about just the workforce in general and how engineers can just make themselves more valuable for the market. And so I think the the thing that we're seeing over and over again and the things that I'm seeing in conversations with people is just becoming more cross-functional. So if you're, you know, let's just say you're a petroleum engineer, you're responsible for whatever getting schooled up on the finance side, getting schooled up more on the operations side, getting schooled up on the geology side, if that makes sense. Just to make yourself super cross-functional and the wearer of many hats, you'll just become increasingly more valuable to big companies and small companies alike. Yeah, very good advice for, for anybody in their career. Think outside your cubicle and go talk and learn stuff from other people in your company. It's there. They'll talk to you. They'll teach you. You know, that's great. A couple of things. So process engineer is one of those job fields that are going to 
have global increase in demand. So basically, if you think about turning hydrocarbons into stuff you can sell or burn for fuel, that's what downstream is. That's what hydrocarbon processing is. That's where a lot of these uh, process engineers work. And that part of our industry is going to grow for the next 100 years. There's literally over 100 billion with a B worth of new petrochemical CapEx investment in the next three years just here in the U.S. And what's really growing is places like the Middle East, Asia Pacific, Central and South America, and all these refineries are new. So they're not old-fashioned refiners that have been in place since the 1950s like we have in the U.S. These are brand new greenfields with the state of the modern technology. So besides being a process engineer, I would suggest pick up a project management certification, a PMP certification. And then if you listen to the show, Jake and I talk about this all the time, pick up some big data analytics. Because as you start working in these new refineries all around the world, the big data analytics could be play a major role in this. You look at what the Davis refineries are doing right now up in North Dakota. I say right now, they, they just broke ground. And then they're building one in the Permian. These are brand new refineries that have almost no manpower because the technology is running everything. And the technology is so sophisticated and does so well that they were, give, were given a waiver by the EPA as far as air emissions because the refinery is so green and clean. That's a cool place to be for a process engineer. And then finally, I would say work on your soft skills. You know, hear Jake say this all the time, and it's true. Even if you're a bit of an introvert, get out and meet people, shake hands, kiss babies, get to learn how to listen to people, to make friends in your company, and you'll go far, I promise you. Yep. Great question. Next is from Matt, who's an MWD field engineer at Halliburton. He writes, Mark and Jake, Oxy CEO Vicky Holub recently said that ultimately she wants Oxy to be carbon neutral. Do you see the industry going carbon neutral in the future? Where do you think this is going? So Mark, do you want to start off by defining what carbon neutral means? <laughs> carbon neutral basically means that the amount of carbon that your business generates is offset by reclaiming or sequestering that carbon, right? So you basically break even. Sort of like if you want to put on muscle or you want to lose body fat, the calories are everything. If you, you have to eat extra calories, you put on muscle, you have to eat less calories to lose body fat. If you eat just the right amount of calories, you don't put on weight or you don't lose weight. And that's what they're talking about here. This man, I could literally spend a whole show talking about this. So she really did say this. And if you look at, you know, Chevron and, and Exxon and Shell and all the majors, even the, the Knox, they're all going down this route. Do I think that they, in their hearts, believe that carbon dioxide is increasing global warming? No. These are scientists and engineers. They know what the truth is. Do I think that they're responding to public perception and wanting to make sure they maintain shareholder value? Absolutely. Now, we've got to be real careful here because you know all industries are there to make a profit, including our industry. So one of the things that's interesting about this, Jake, is there's technologies being developed where they can capture this carbon out of the air. And anybody out there understands biology goes, well, we've had that for a gazillion years. It's called a tree. Yeah, but now we have technology that can also pull carbon out the air. Well, if we get to the point where there's tax credits for carbon or penalties, and so basically an oil and gas company has to pay extra if they secrete too much carbon that year, Jake, what happens when they can remove more carbon than they produced? Does somebody pay them? Does the government step in and pay them? Yeah. And so the technology is getting where they could do this. Now, the other thing that I need to be very clear about the science, you see a lot of people talking about our carbon dioxide levels and carbon dioxide is made of carbon, but it's not carbon. It's a compound of carbon. The thing about carbon dioxide is people will tell you that it's, the rate is really high and it's rising. We're right around 400 parts per million right now. What that is, Jake, is this is the, the scientists that have come up with that number took a about a 30-year snapshot of carbon dioxide. That's sort of like you watching six-tenth of a second of Game of Thrones and then being able to explain what the whole show's about. You just can't do it. What they really need to be looking at is looking at the entire history of the Earth since man got here, the big snapshot. And if you look at that, our average carbon dioxide level 
since mankind has been on the planet is about 2,000 parts per million. The highest it's ever gotten is, is almost 7,000 parts per million. So we're actually in a low carbon environment, this 400 parts per million. So, you know, I understand the science. The people at these big oil and gas companies also understand the science. Is this a way for them to mitigate public perception? Yes. Is that something we need as an industry? Absolutely. We have let public perception get so bad. We need to start correcting that. Is this also a way for the oil and gas industry to go, you know what, you want to tax us on carbon? Our engineers will pull it out there and then you're going to pay us. Maybe. So we'll see where this thing goes. Great question. It is a great question, really. Up next is a another question from somebody. It's anonymous. Please expand on the current state of EPC, which stands for Engineering, Construction, and Procurement Contractor Market for large oil and gas capital projects and subsequently the heavy industrial fabricators that are subcontracted by these EPCs. Hey, Jake. I may be crazy here, but I'd be willing to guess that this person probably works for a subcontractor that is subs his EPCs, and they want our opinion of what the future is going to be like for their business. <laughs> and, and I could easily be wrong. I know this world a little bit. This is the McDermott's in the floors of, of, of the world. What happens is when somebody like Exxon or Petrobras or whatever has a large CapEx project somewhere – they don't do most of it themselves. They form it out to these EPC companies who do the engineering, the project management, and the construction. And lately, they've been doing their procurement. So they basically hand it over to another company to do the work. Now, the problem in the last, say, five years is a lot of these big EPC companies no longer have the staff to deliver on what their sales team sells. So when their sales team sells, you know, gets Exxon to go ahead and sign a contract for this big expansion project in you know the Gulf Coast somewhere – that EPC company can't deliver on what they just sold. So then they go staff up. And when they staff up, it's a lot of subcontractors who are beaten up over pennies. So there's not extra money in the bid. So if they make one mistake, they lose money. And so what's what's happened in the last five years here in the U.S. is you'll see these big EPC projects get stood up. They'll go through from beginning to end. They'll get paid. They pay their subs. The subs are the ones that tend to lose money if things weren't done well. The EPC always makes its profit. And then there's all these workovers and change orders because stuff wasn't done well. So they come back and it, you know, it, sometimes it, it increases the price of the project by 50% instead of it doing, doing it right the first time. And you also don't hit your delivery dates. You don't hit the date that you could turn the plant on, which costs millions of dollars. So this, this part of the industry is a mess. I'm starting to see some correction going on. I'm starting to see, especially companies like Exxon and Shell and BP here in the U.S., starting to see them take some of this engineering back away from the EPCs and do it themselves. And they're also getting much better at project managing the engineering companies who are doing the project management. So I'm not so sure, Anonymous, that answers your question. But the the heavy industrial fabricators that are out there, the ones that actually were totally focused on upstream construction, the guys that were building the the platforms and the the legs and the the plets and the manifolds and the pipelines, they're still really hurting out there. You know, you look at companies like GE Oil and Gas or Technique FMC or even Cameron, you know, their offshore business is still hurting really bad right now. And this could be another five or 10 years before that comes back. Now, if you're talking about generic industrial fabricators, a lot of them learn to jump on the wind side of the industry because building a platform offshore is not a whole lot different than building a wind platform offshore. So they're still out there, you know, welding heavy steel. But anyway, I'm not sure if that answers your question. This actually is a good point. So people, when y'all write in a question, if there's really something you want to know, but you don't want to ask it specifically, go ahead and put that in the question. Say, hey, look, I work for this company. I don't want them to know I'm asking this question, but 
what what the heck's going on with you know supply chain or, or you know education or, or whatever? And Jake and I can answer the question without mentioning your name, so nobody knows that you asked this. But, but anyway, hopefully this kind of hopefully this helped you. Great. Next question is from Brady, who's in investment banking. Writes, Mark, I heard your first Friday Q and A podcast, and you had some listeners looking for oil and gas investment banking jobs. I would like to schedule some time to speak with you to see if we can help any of them out now or in the future. So Jake, I set up a call with Brady and, and he was incredible. So he wasn't trying to get anything. He was literally trying to help people find jobs. And he works for a really cool company. We're going to hook him back around with him. But guess what, Jake? You'll never guess in a million years what he did out of high school. Mm, ran wireline. Close. He was a radio operator for the core. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like, but and, and people may not know this. I was a radio operator, and Jake fixed the radios off off of the U.S. Marine Corps. It's like, what are the odds of this sort of stuff happening? It happens quite often. So his heart's in the right place. I've made a couple of connections. I'm gonna stay in touch with him. If you have anybody out there that is looking for to learn about the investment world, banking jobs, and oil and gas, we're gonna stick Brady's email in the show notes. So just click and, and reach out to him directly. And he has a soft spot in his heart for veterans. So please, veterans, you know, you may not know that you understand banking, but if you were a staff sergeant and had to run payroll or something, you understand numbers. I promise you. It's just you use it for different words. Y'all use different words to describe it. So, you know, Brady, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for allowing us to share this with with our audiences and, and people. If you want to learn more, just reach out direct to Brady. He's just a great guy. Awesome. Thanks, Brady. Next question is from James. He writes, hi, considering sponsorship, but I'm unable to search any events past the current month. I've tried on Chrome and Safari, but I think your web developer needs to adjust the page as the <laughs> search field is inaccessible. We think you're right, James. So we're totally redoing the OGGN website. My apologies. The OGGN website has looked half finished for more than I want to admit. Now, back to the events, we actually changed some stuff. And Jake, you and I haven't talked, so you may not even know this. So we've been doing a monthly happy hour here in Houston, and we've been doing a, a monthly happy hour in Midland, and we have a whole bunch of other places that we're lighting stuff up. It looks like we're going to have one in Pittsburgh and Calgary before we have the one in Bay Area, San Francisco, or Lafayette, Louisiana. But anyway, one of the things that, that I've noticed, and I've talked to a bunch of people in our team, is we're not providing the value that I want to provide. Yes, it's great to get together. Yes, we get free booze and, and beer, and we do a spotlight. But what we're going to do is we're going to switch these events to a quarterly event so we can put more time into it. Because as we're growing, it's just eating up my people's time. And we're going to make them cooler. Not quite sure how yet. We've played around with things like having panel discussions or having tech expos. But to answer your question, we know that you can't go to the website and look at future events. That's being worked on right now. If anybody out there is interested in sponsoring these events and get in front of our oil and gas audience anywhere in the U.S. and, and also we have one in Tanzania, shout out to Hussein. If you want to sponsor one in Tanzania, let me know. I can make that happen too. But anybody wants to get in front of the audiences, reach out to Julie and talk to her. So she's really the person that knows what's coming up in the future, what we're doing, what the dollar amounts are. She's the best way if you if you want to work with us in some way. But but the website does suck, quite honestly, and we know it, and we're working on it, and it should be fixed shortly. Cool. Next question is from uh, JP, who is an auditor at Deloitte. I say, hey guys, I just want to say thanks for all the knowledge and information about the oil and gas industry. Your podcast provided me with a better insight of my clients' operational aspects and the industry as general. Keep up the good work and looking forward to learning more. Wait, there was was there a question in there? No, there was no question, but I left that in, I left that in there on purpose. So first thing, you know, JP, thank you for, for reaching out and giving us a pat on the back. But the reason I left this in here, Jake, is I am getting this a lot. A lot of people that work for the oil and gas analyst companies listen to our show and they use it as part of their workday. And so the reason I left this in here, I want to be very clear to, to the people that do that type of work is that 
a lot of what Jake and I talk about is our opinions based upon our experience. So if, if you're using our information for your clients, you might want to either reach out to us directly and, and make sure we got you know all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed, or you may even want to do some fact checking. So Jake and I both make mistakes often, you know, but, but we appreciate that analyst community uses our podcast as a resource for the work they're doing for their clients. It's actually at some point, Jake, we're going to be having a discussion with, you know, Exxon or BP or Shell, and they're going to say, oh, we just had one of the analyst company do some great work and they use your podcast as the, as the rationale for, for whatever. At some point that's going to happen. And at that point, I guess we should start charging these companies for it. But right now, JP, it's free. Thanks for listening. We love you. All right. Up next is from Douglas, uh, who's a financial advisor. He writes, hey, Mark and Jake, I'm a huge fan of the show. I've been a supporter of your thesis for a while on 2019 being a big M&A year. And my question is, do you think smaller EMP M&A will pick up this year as well? And over time, the shape game becomes a scale game. Can these rig Permian players survive on their own? It's a great these question. one rig Permian players. You want to take a shot at that or you want me to? Yeah. So I think I don't necessarily foresee a whole lot of smaller EMP EMA. Just in the circles that I run in, there hasn't really been a whole lot of chat around it. And I don't necessarily see as much of a need for it as the as opposed to like the public Permian players who were kind of just not doing great financially. They're a little bit more incentivized to actually to merge. I'm not saying that one rig Permian players can't survive, but it's obviously a lot harder. You're competing against a lot of the big guys who are, you know, driving up acreage cost dramatically. So not saying it can't be done, but it's definitely going to be a challenge for those guys. Yeah, so I agree with Jake, but I'm seeing something happen that, that happens anytime there's a constraint in the market in that the smaller, more nimble players are able to think out some outside the box and move really quickly. Jake, what's that really expensive ice chest that came on the market about five years ago? Yeti? Yeti. Okay. I want you to talk about, I want to talk about Yeti. So there is a product, there's a, a product out there, which are ice chests that, you know, people use outdoors, people, sport people, whatever. And it's become a commodity who can build an ice chest that is good enough for the cheapest price. And so Yeti was actually started by two brothers and they were fishermen and they hated the fact that after they bought a cheap ice chest, it would tear up or after a year, or it wouldn't hold ice long enough. And so they decided they would build the best ice chest possible. And their parents and their friends and everybody said, y'all are crazy. Nobody's going to pay more than 30 or $40 for an ice chest. And the Yetis are several hundred dollars at, at best, right? And they did it and they captured the market. And not only did they captured the market, Jake, you can now buy Yeti jewelry and Yeti stickers for your car because now it's become a fashion item. Oh, I can afford a Yeti. I have a you know $1,100 ice chest in the back of my truck. So they took something that was a commodity that was a low margin game that only the big boys, the igloos in the world and the Coleman's in the world could play in, and they turned it on its head. I think you can see that happen on the operation side in the U.S. and maybe North America, where these small, as this Douglas said, these one rig Permian player, they actually can do stuff that nobody else done. Now I don't know what that's going to be. I think this all this influx of technology is going to help people figure out better ways to to actually hit the hydrocarbons better and faster. And I think that will be these small players. Now the flip side of that is I'm firmly convinced by now that the name of the game in the shell basins in the U.S. is capital efficiency. It's it's. Big right now. It was big last year. It's not huge yet, but I think it'll get there. And I think that's where the majors come in. They can manage capital better than anybody else. And quite honestly, it's internal capital. They, there's not another layer of, of cost on it by them having to borrow money from somebody else. So I, I think the big players are going to rule the shell basins. But I think that these smaller, more nimble operators, especially the ones that are staying ahead of technology, will come up with things that's going to allow them to compete in a way that nobody's even thought of, just like the Yeti guys did. 
Yep, 100% agree. Great question, Douglas. The last question of the day is from Walker, who's a uh, energy commerce student at Texas Tech University. Uh, he writes, I recently started listening to your podcast and has allowed me to stay up to date on industry news as well as familiarize myself with the various aspects of the industry, something I greatly value as a student. Last week, I had my resume rebuilt by a career consultant at Silicon Valley as part of a junior YPO program. And I was wondering if I could get some of y'all's input on it before I start intern recruitment this fall. I just feel slightly hesitant diving into this recruitment without any ideas of how my resume will be perceived. I understand you guys are experts in the industry. We'll have some feedback. <laughs> okay, Walker. So shoot me your resume. I'll look at it. But let me tell you, I don't really think that's the important part here. The resume is needed. I'm not going to say it's important. It's needed. But there's there's two radically different ways that that resume is used, and, and neither one is in your control. So the first one is you, you submit it to some system, right? You, you scan it, you key punch it in, whatever. And at that point, especially if it's a big operator, it's being read by software. And unless you can game the software or you really are that perfect match, it's not, it's no, no person's going to even see it. So in that case, your resume, no matter who wrote it, is worthless. And if the people that really get into that have to rewrite the resume using the right keywords for each job they apply for, and that's a lot of work. And it doesn't guarantee any type of success. The other side of it is if you meet somebody that may be a hiring manager or maybe able to connect you to the hiring manager and you talk to them, you typically leave your resume behind. The most important part of that engagement is, I think, the conversation, not your resume. So you need to have a resume, but I think you're better off taking your time and learning some people skills. You know, go to YouTube, look at some sample resume interviews, you know, figure out how you would answer the hard questions. Learn to be calm enough to listen. Be okay with saying, you know what? I don't know. The biggest thing when you're interviewing is people want to see if you can be a potential fit for the job, not if you're a fit now. And so as long as you're open and honest and engaging, I think that's probably more important than the resume. But with all that said, if you want me to look at your resume, I'll be happy to do so. Now, let me caveat that by I haven't rewritten my resume in at least 10 or 15 years. And the last time I had my resume, mine was like six pages, which everybody tells you you should never have more than a one page resume. So I'm already not following the rules. So, but, but if it's valuable to you, Walker, I'll be happy to look at it. Input, Jake? You know, I think, I think you nailed it on the, on the head. It's one of those things that if you're in the job market, we've said time and time again, it is your job to market yourself. And a resume is only one of those ways to do it. Actually, I hate resumes. Me too. I'd rather just talk to somebody. Yeah. It's just, it's not a very good, it shows where you've worked, but it doesn't show the quality of the work and it doesn't really speak for, you know, what kind of employee you're going to be. Yeah, I'd much rather just go out, you know, three to four days a week. Every single organization in oil and gas is hosting some kind of event, whether it's one of our events or an SPE event or something like that. Just go out and meet as many people because it's still very much a relationship-driven business. You're in the people business first and foremost. Don't forget that. And most of the time, that's going to be the way that you land your job as opposed to just submitting resumes. So, Yep, I agree. But if you want me to read it, send it to me. I'll read it. Speaking of sending it to me, we have been getting a lot of rave reviews for our giveaway. This is a really cool shirt with a patent picture of a pump jack from, I think, the 40s. IBM logo on one sleeve, OGG logo on the other sleeve, and it's uniquely serial numbered. So your shirt is different than everybody else's. And we spent big bucks on this. So it's high quality shirts cut both for men and women. So we're not putting a woman in a man's T-shirt. 
We give away one a week. Go redshirt. It's really simple. The easiest way is go to the show notes. You could also go to uh, bit.ly forward slash IBM hyphen OGTW to enter as well. But we have gotten a ton of feedback. This is starting to generate some of the buzz like we did with the Red Wing bag where people want these shirts even though they haven't registered to win one. And Jake, I'm not going to tell you who, but even one of our team members got a little upset with me because I wouldn't get one of these shirts. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. You got to win it. That's the only fair way to do it. So people, if you want to get more of my team members mad at me, because I won't give them the shirt that you can win, go do that as well. But go enter. It's awesome. Give away one a week. And then somewhere in the future, Jake and I are going to call out some numbers. And we're going to say, hey, shirt number 327, you've just won a first-class trip to Paris to come hang out with us or, or, or whatever. So besides winning something that's unique and collectible and cool, you also get a chance to win stuff in the future. Speaking of the future, Jake, what's the rig count looking like? 999 rigs as of right now. I kind of I kind of like that number. It sounds like somebody made a mistake. Good, decent number. You've heard us talk about the street team. Julie's going to talk more about that with the event on deck, but we're still looking for volunteers. And then if you're interested in oil and gas events that are going on, we have a monthly newsletter that we don't charge you for. You can sign up, go to the show notes and just click on sign up. We won't spam you. And then if you want Jake and I to come speak at your conference, your gym, your sales and marketing kickoff, your young professors group, whatever, we got a bunch of those this year. We'd love to have some more. Just reach out to us and we will share the details. This is the first Friday Q&A. You know the deal. You submit questions. If we use your questionnaire, you get a big shout out. And then while you're online, go ahead and go to the website that I have to pay a ton of money for now because of y'all, which is a good thing. And give us your email address. Go ahead and sign up. We won't spam you. We'll use that in the future somewhere and let you know we're doing cool stuff. And then join the LinkedIn group. It takes two seconds. It's getting better and better. I think we're pushing 3,000 members now, Jake, which is kind of scary. Okay. Ready to get out of here? Yep, let's do it. All right, remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here is Julie with Events on Deck. Hey, it's Julie here, and I have a few OGGN announcements before heading into the Events on Deck. Street team, we are still taking volunteers for our street team. We're only asking for an hour of your time per week in exchange for perks such as free entry to our happy hours, shirts, networking with other young professionals in our group, the group is within Facebook, but you do not have to have a Facebook to join. Just send me an email. The link will be in the show notes and I can get you started. Our happy hours. We are actually moving to quarterly happy hours rather than monthly. So our next Houston happy hour, as well as Midland, will be in August or September. Be on the lookout for that date. You'll get an invite if you're on the list. If not, you can sign up on the list below. And then we are launching another happy hour in Denver in August. So if you're interested in that one, the link is in the show notes as well to be notified. We don't have a date or details for that yet, but they're coming up. Okay, now on to the events on deck. We have Golf for Good on June 11th, 2019 in Houston, Texas. All proceeds go to help Redeemed Ministries with our long Term recovery program and safe house to help victims of human trafficking become survivors. So mark your calendars and be ready to golf for good with Redeemed and our organizers Global SEM Energy and Red M. For more information on how to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. Data-driven drilling and production conference is June 11th through 12th in Houston, Texas. This is where Silicon Valley meets oil and gas. Register at the link in our show notes below. The Energy and Data Conference is June 17th through 19th in Austin, Texas. This 
forward-looking conference will include the latest in digital transformation trends as they relate to the energy sectors with topics such as machine learning and data management storage, oil and gas development and drilling production, and more. Link down below. Energy Exposition is June 26th through 27th in Gillette, Wyoming. The Energy Exposition is for those who would like to know more about procedures, technology, safety, environmental practices, and equipment used in the oil and gas industry. And again, the link is in our show notes. Argentina Oil and Gas and Energy Summit 2019 is on July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. This summit's actually the first and only official event for the Argentinian oil and gas and energy industries. It will present a unique platform for networking that will bring together existing and future operators in the oil and gas industry in Argentina and Latin America. Next up is the 2019 IPANM annual meeting that Mark, Jake, and Paige will actually be speaking at. This will be July 24th through 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this year's theme is Addressing Operator Needs in 2019. And next up is Desk and Derek Fort Worth second annual shoot for the future clay shoot. This clay shoot will be on July 26th in Decatur, Texas. And then last but not least, Summer Nape. This is going to be August 21st and 22nd to where the deals happen. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.